Hello, and welcome to the Soundwave Podcast. Music, technologies, stories. For people who love the art and science of listening to and enjoying recorded music. Here it's all about the art and magic of sound reproduction and related human stories. We survey music, technology, and stories from the early beginnings of relatively low high fidelity to the heyday of the 70s high fidelity and the modern age of digital and streaming. I'm your host, Pat Shepard. Welcome to episode two of season two of The Soundwave Show. I started putting this episode together thinking I'd move back to a little bit of technology and look at reel-to-reel tape recording, but as I got into it, I found that reel-to-reel's backstory, the history of it, was as exciting as the uh, technology itself. So today we will be looking at where did reel-to-reels come from and what were its dark, even clandestine beginnings in World War II and a smuggling operation that really started a huge revolution in audio and audio recording. History, dark beginnings to modern miracle. If you remember, in the episode, Season 1, Episode 8 of The Soundwave Show, The History of Stereo Recording, I talked about how the discovery of recording sound onto disc began in 1877 when the man of a thousand patents, Thomas Edison, invented the phonograph using a sheet of tinfoil wrapped around a cylindrical drum. For more, please visit that episode. The Discovery of Early Magnetic Recording From Wikipedia, magnetic recording was conceived as early as 1878 by the American engineer Oberlin Smith and demonstrated in practice in 1898 by Danish engineer Vladimir Polson. Analog magnetic wire recording and its successor, magnetic tape recording, involved the use of magnetizable medium which moves at a constant speed past a recording head. Electrical signal, which is analogous to the sound that is being recorded, is fed to the recording head, inducing a pattern of magnetization similar to the signal. Then, a playback head can pick up the changes in the magnetic field from the tape and convert it into an electronic signal to be amplified and played back through a loudspeaker. The use of magnetic tape for sound recording originated in 1930 in Germany as paper tape with oxide lacquered onto it. Prior to the development of magnetic tape, magnetic wire recorders had been successfully demonstrated in the concept of magnetic recording, but they never offered audio quality comparable to the other recording and broadcast standards of the time. This German innovation was the start of a long string of innovations which have led to the present-day magnetic tape recordings. Dark Beginnings Gideon Schwartz explains in his fantastic book, Hi-Fi, The History of High-End Audio Design, Fritz Flumer was a German-Austrian engineer who invented magnetized tape for recording purposes. By the 1930s, German electronics firm AEG had expanded on his technology and were building a reel-to-reel tape recorder called a magnetophone, which was closely followed in 1935 by the company's more practically sized magnetophone K1. From Wikipedia, at first, early magnetophones gave disappointing results. One of the first concerts to be recorded on the magnetophone was Mozart's 39th Symphony 
played by the London Philharmonic Orchestra, conducted by Sir Thomas Beecham during their 1936 concert tour. The recording was made on a AEG K2 magnetophone running at 100 centimeters per second. When Beecham and the musicians heard the playback, they were greatly disappointed with the distortion and noise on the recording. Adding a direct current bias to the record head gave some improvement, but in 1941, two engineers at the German National Broadcast Organization, the RRG, accidentally discovered the technique of high-frequency bias in which the simple addition of a high level, about 10x the maximum audio level, of inaudible high-frequency tone resulted in a striking improvement in sound quality by effectively smoothing the magnetization of unused portions of the audio band. The magnetophone became a high-fidelity recording system because in so many respects it outperformed gramophone recording. As Adolf Hitler rose to power, Germany's Nazi party sought ways to utilize tape recording for its own purposes, and the research and development of this recording technique quickly became clandestine in nature and went underground. Hitler himself was particularly fond of the reel-to-reel machine and used it to perform in one location when it was actually at another. From Wikipedia, the Allies noticed that certain German officials were making radio broadcasts from multiple time zones almost simultaneously. Analysts such as Richard H. Ranger believed that broadcast had to be transcriptions, but their audio quality was indistinguishable from that of a live broadcast, and their duration was far longer than what was possible even with 16 RPM trans transcriptions discs. So what was going on? Well. Nazi Real Technology Discovered by John Jack Mullen From RX Reels Jack, a major in electronical engineering in 1941, did what so many men did that year. He joined the Army to, and served with this distinction, eventually becoming a major in the Signal Corps. As a lieutenant stationed in England, his job was improving the performance of electronic equipment, including Allied radar. From 1943 to 1944, while stationed at the Royal Air Force Base in Farborough, England, Jack worked late into the night while listening to classical music broadcasts by the Germans in the early morning hours after BBC had gone off the air at midnight. The sounds he heard coming from the German recordings sounded like live performances from amazing musicians such as the Berlin Philharmonic. No matter how hard he tried, he could not detect the usual noise typically associated with recordings on the radio. Flash forward to July 1945. Jack and a team of officers left for a fact-finding tour of Germany. At the site of a radio transmitter location near Frankfurt, Jack met a British officer who told him about a high-fidelity version of the German AEG magnetophone audio tape recorder that had low distortion and frequency response that almost matched that of the human hearing, and he told Mullen where he could find it. Jack and his assistant excitedly headed to a small resort town outside Frankfurt where Radio Frankfurt had a satellite radio in Bad Nauheim. And while there, 
he made the most life-changing discovery of the modern audio world. At first glance, these were the same machines with poor quality recordings he had heard before. However, the sound was nothing like those machines. He could not distinguish live from tape. Mullins looked at the schematics which showed the aforementioned AC bias in the record circuit. That is when he realized the poor sounding machines could easily be modified into something beyond his wildest dreams. Mullins was able to keep two of the magnetophones to send home as war souvenirs, but the rules were that anything brought back to the States had to fit inside a mailbag or it would not be sent. Jack spent a few months taking apart the two machines, using several little wooden boxes for the parts, and shipping each one separately. He ended up with 35 separate items, which beat all the odds, and every single box arrived safely to his home in San Francisco. Bringing the magnetophone back to life. Jack spent three or four months putting the machines back together, leveraging his education and military background in electrical engineering. He ultimately built two record and reproduce decks with a passive switching bridge between them, much like he'd seen in Germany. The tape reels were 11.44 inch, which held 22 minutes of music at 77 centimeters per second tape speed. Already thinking of the implications for use in broadcast, Jack knew that for a half-hour show, he would need to be able to use a switch and switch the input and output signals between the two machines. Jack's redesign of the Nazi magnetophone machine was superior to anything else anyone in the States had ever heard. In May 1946, Mullen and Bill Palmer, a filmmaker and 16mm uh, film sound pioneer with whom he formed a business partnership, demoed the hi-fi tape decks at the NBC studios in San Francisco to members of the Institute of Radio Engineers. Those at the demo were stunned and could not believe it was not a live performance. In this historic audience, among others, were Harold Lindsay, Walter Selsteed, and Frank Linert, who all worked on the Ampex Model 200, the first pro audio tape deck in America, and Charlie Ginsberg, who would lead the team to build the first successful commercial videotape recorder. Meanwhile, Mullen, while working with Palmer Films, designed methods of uh, reproducing superior quality audio for pre-production of 16mm films. The two magnetophones, which Mullen had bought, brought back from Germany and modified, were used to produce the first U.S. commercial entertainment disc professionally mastered on tape, which was Songs by Merv Griffin. Bing Crosby in Hollywood Mullen and Palmer headed to Hollywood in October of 1946, where they put on a demonstration at the studios of MGM, where they debuted the crystal clear recording performances by harmonica virtuoso Larry Alder and pianist Jose Iturbi, accompanied by MGM Symphony Orchestra. And this is how Bing Crosby's tech producer found out about the recording device and set up a demo for Crosby. From Wikipedia, so impressed was Cosby with the new technology that he joined the effort and arranged financial support for Ampex. With Crosby on board, 
Most major recording studios purchased the new Ampex machines, and tape was on its way to becoming a significant format for domestic hi-fi equipment. In 1954, Elvis Presley recorded his first single, That's Alright, on an Ampex reel-to-reel machine. That same year, the company released their first multi-track audio recorder, which would thereafter dominate recording studio technique. Although Ampex controlled the reel-to-reel landscape in the 1950s in the U.S., other firms around the world were beginning to turn their attention to domestic units. In the U.K., for example, gramophone and record uh, player manufacturers such as Colaro entered the reel-to-reel market, while British company Farograph began to focus on bespoke units. Although little known uh, outside uh, vintage circles, Ferrograph built some of the most durable and dependable tape machines ever. Again from Schwartz's Hi-Fi book. However, Britain's best-known band, The Beatles, actually favored another brand of multi-track tape machine when it came to recording their best-known album. Studer's multi-track recorders were cropping up in noteworthy recording studios all over the world. The company's already high profile was boosted yet again in 1967 when the state-of-the-art Studer J37 multi-track machine was used at London's Abbey Road Studios to record the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band album. Wrapping up, again from RX Reels. The founding father of the American reel-to-reel tape deck went on to work wonders in the world of sound and television. Jack continued to work with Crosby through the rest of Crosby's career on both radio and then on television. Mullen's Crosby video prototypes became the basis for many pro and consumer audio and data recorders. After Crosby retired, he sold his electronics lab where Mullen had worked so diligently creating some of the world's most wondrous electronic breakthroughs to 3M. He also built the first prototype videotape recorder and created many of the standards for technology that we use today. He passed away in 1999 from heart failure in his home in California at the age of 85. More on reel-to-reel to come. In a future episode, I'll cover other reel-to-reel topic from a more hands-on aspect. What are the advantages of reel-to-reel? Can you still buy reel-to-reel tape? Can you buy reel-to-reel decks, either new or used? And is eBay a good option? What are some good reel-to-reel decks if you're considering doing that? Where might reel-to-reel tape be heading in the future? I'll try and answer those and more questions in a future episode. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you found the history and the discovery of reel-to-reel tape recording from the dark days of Nazi Germany to the Beatles and beyond enjoyable. I really want to call out a few sources and references I found invaluable for putting this show together. Wikipedia, RX Reels, with lots of great articles on this topic, and the book Hi-Fi, The History of High-End Audio Design by Gideon Schwartz. Please visit my website where I've referenced links that I've used in creating this episode, including those I've just mentioned. All content, except where noted or referenced, is copyright Pat Shepard and the soundwaveshow.com. The theme song is something I put together in GarageBand, admittedly with loops. Look forward to seeing you guys next time.